Welcome back to the Mental Health Commute with Dr. Walt Duffy and Matt Duffy. And we thought we would continue on our parenting series. And we received a question from a listener. Would we touch on, is it okay to seek treatment, mental health treatment, for your child if they're less than 10 years old? And maybe when would you and what options are open to you? You know, it's sort of interesting from my perspective in my day-to-day because people come seeking treatment, right? They sign up. They've been referred by their family physician, by their therapist, often by family and friends is a very common one, schools. So other mental health agencies, maybe the hospital has referred them. You know, that's a very thin slice of the pie. We know that even kids during the pandemic who were having and reporting mental health concerns was increasing among them and not only their families also. Have we seen a rush to knock down the doors? We've seen some uptick, but not a rush, right? What goes through the mind of folks when they even think about, oh, should I maybe seek help for my child? So I thought that was a very interesting question. Yeah, and I think it also points out that the way a parent views a child is different based on their age, right? Once they're 11 or high school and they're more of a mini adult (laughs) and more developed, they become more open to things potentially. This question specifically targeting the the 10 and younger, I think we're looking at the concern that's out there of, am I going to screw them up while they're developing? Yeah. I have a quick little story there. I practice out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And I remember when I was coming to Lincoln, I go, I'm a child psychiatrist and an adult psychiatrist. And I am sure I'll get just lots of referrals being a child psychiatrist because there's hardly any of them uh, where, where I'm going into Lincoln. And what I found once I got here was that, you know, the pediatric therapists, psychologists, the pediatricians, whoa, they had to get to know me and, you know, understand that because they were not so give a referral to somebody that they didn't know for a child. Very interesting. Adults would come in and no big deal. But the children, especially the younger they got, That was a slower process, developing those relationships and those therapists, pediatricians, and hearing back from the parents, did that treatment go okay? Were you treated okay? So that was a big eye-opener to me, you know, over 20 years ago. And I understand it. I mean, I I really understand it, especially as you have kids. Why would that be a slower process? Yeah, it's the younger someone is, the more the community tries to protect. Yeah, sort of like my cat story. I, I will get back to that, but, you know, I have to bring this up. So over the past few nights, actually, Mama Cat has been up on the our little stoop, our deck, with her babies. And because, you know, usually she would only go to the edge of the walk down by the driveway. But we've slowly got her to come up. But it's really interesting. I mean, there's certain ones, like the one we call Runt, who's really small. She really keeps an eye in, on him. So there's a couple of them that really just sort of shadow her. The other ones, some of them she lets give some free play. The ones that are sort of bigger and can take care of themselves, they can come over closer to us. She sort of does the same thing. It's uh, hardwired into our biology, right? We're looking at children. I think, you know, the first thing maybe is a roadblock in the thought process is, do I want to label my child as having a health care issue when maybe they're just a, a kid? And I think we hear this a lot these, at least I hear it a lot these days, is if you talk to someone in the mature generation, it's, well, what they're doing today, I did when I was a kid, I wasn't ADD or 
depressed or anything. So why is this changing? Or at home, everything's fine. Or I'm just used to it, right? I'm used to it at home. And I really didn't hear issues, have issues, until my little one started going off to school, daycare, those things. And all of a sudden, now there's issues. <laughs> Are there not issues? Well, no, there's issues at home, but I've just developed a system. I know how to deal with it. Maybe talking from that perspective, because this gets into just stigma too, right, of mental health. Are there still concerns? Because I think historically, what I've heard is if you get labeled as something in the healthcare system, then can affect the rest of your life, right? Like we've heard before, if you want to be a pilot, you can't have certain healthcare conditions in the mental health world. Are there still those limitations that people need to be concerned of? Have they gone away? And how big of a barrier really is it to a five-year-old having ADD or getting diagnosed as ADD? And then maybe when they turn 11, they don't need treatment anymore, but it's still on their record that at one point they did. Yeah, being on your record in the past like that, that's not so big of a deal, right? It is true some of the things that you're trying to get into the the military. They might say in the past year, have you been on any psychiatric medicines? But not at five years old, eight years old, were you on something? That's not what they're looking at. Parents are very concerned, and rightly so. Is there a continuum, right? And might they have this when they get to be an adult? I, I hear that a lot. We've had my child on ADHD medicine now for two years. It's been a big difference, don't get me wrong, you know, there's been a lot of improvement, but are they going to have to continue on this into junior high, high school, college as an adult? So my answer is, I really, I don't know. What I can tell you based on the current research is maybe up to two-thirds of kids will still have some of the symptoms associated with, for example, ADHD when they get to be adult. They might interfere, they might not. So there's a way that we can look at that. You know, we talked about in a, a different episode would you ever have a medication holiday? What does that look like? How do, so I'm not going to go back and repeat that, but there's a process we can look at, do that. But the big thing is, is your child functioning well? Are we causing any problems? A lot of the medicines we use, you know, some of the antidepressants, not some of them, the antidepressants in kids, you know, they get this box warning, may cause suicidal ideation. How would you like to be a parent? Oh, you want to put my child on this. What? It might cause them to have thoughts of suicide? So it was really interesting when that came about with antidepressants a long time ago. So now every new one gets sort of the same thing on it. At the time when it first came out, it was really interesting because a lot of people just stopped prescribing them. They'd even put them on like a higher med with more risks on it just to avoid putting on that. And what you sort of saw is there were more issues with depression, anxiety, and those things. If somebody gets put on the the right medicine that can help them, which especially things like depression, anxiety, you might be able to prevent some of the things happening so they don't have issues with those as teenagers or as adults. And even in the diagnostic world, things have sort of changed. There used to be a diagnosis that a lot of people use, bipolar disorder not otherwise specified, when we had these kids with a lot of what we call mood dysregulation. But when they looked at it, the kids like in eight years old to 10 years old that were maybe had that bipolar diagnosis, when they looked at them as young adults, a lot of them really didn't turn out to have bipolar disorder, right? Now there's a diagnosis called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, DMDD. So that is something that's specific to children and adolescents. And that diagnosis is you have to change it to something if they still have issues as they become an adult. It's really looking at things as a continuum. But, you know, as we were talking before this podcast, we started thinking about 
it's really a double stigma that parents have to get through, right? It's not only the stigma is my child going to be quote-unquote labeled, but actually if your child has an issue, the nice thing to know for parents is there's extra resources. We can get help in school. There's something such as 504 accommodations and some of these things, IEPs, that if you have some of these things, we can at least have the ability to get help if they need help. Then that parent goes, do I even want the school to know? So the other stigma is not only does my child, but is everybody else going to know that I have a child that has mental health issue? I have to get past it. You know, it's interesting. Get back to the physical stuff. If my little one has a open cut, a wound, a eye problems, has a fractured leg, I'm going to go get them help right away because that's very well accepted out there. But it still is a struggle with the stigma around mental health for some folks. Well, these drugs alter the mind. They're mind-altering medication. And if my child is still developing, am I going to screw up their development by giving them these meds that are going to actively alter (laughs) how their brain is working? Well, we are. The medicines, by the nature of them, do uh, increase, decrease some of the neurotransmitters, chemicals in your brain, right? And so they do probably have some things with neuroplasticity and pathways. But I look at it more as a preventive thing. They're helping you to be able to grow in a positive direction. Yes, they do all have a list of side effects with them that we have to watch out for and sort of talk about and monitor. But those are things that you should be talking about anyway. And if they have it, that might not be the medicine for you and you switch to something else. But they actually, when they're needed, they can help a much more positive trajectory. I mean, say you have somebody with social phobia, and it's very difficult not only for them to get to school, but to interact socially with others. You know what a hindrance it is for a child to not learn how to interact socially with others? So what do they end up doing? What In today's environment, they become totally dependent on social media. So they lock themselves in a room, and they're quote-unquote talking online. They're not really talking. They're messaging online and doing things, but they learn that that's safe. So you're not pushing in the next step. So besides the cats, I also have a a family of barn swallows that's also on my deck. So this has been really interesting as the barn swallows get kicked out of the nest and the cats are up there at the same time. So we had quite the party last night. But anyway, but your job as a parent is to help push to that next step, right? So it really doesn't help really all we're just going to do all online school, and I'm not even going to have you deal with that social anxiety. Well, no, I, you know, through therapy, and it very possibly might need meds in addition, at least part of the time, help you get over that hump. And when we look at it, the next question that comes up is, if my child is young, they still have the opportunity to grow out of it and naturally develop away from it, versus if I put them on something now, am I creating a lifetime dependency on it? And how do I justify creating a lifetime dependency if they still have the opportunity to change on their own? So define dependency, because this is really interesting, what people think is dependency on something. Well, yeah, my concern would be if they're on Adderall at four, they're going to be on Adderall till they die. Their brain's going to learn to be reliant on it, and it's never going to have the opportunity to grow without it. So should I give them the opportunity for their brain to fix itself, (laughs) basically? Well, actually, their brain might, quote-unquote, fix itself, whether it's on the Adderall or not. 
what I sort of think of when you say that is, are they not going to learn certain tasks to help themselves because they're on Adderall? But what we sort of know is they're not on, and I'm, I don't think we're just using Adderall, they're not on a medication for ADHD. So, because there's a lot of medications, whether it's a stimulant medication or non-stimulant, there's actually more non-stimulant medications coming out, okay? So what am I preventing versus not preventing? If I give myself, I used to live someplace where, where I saw kids and the school mantra was, uh, we have to give them the opportunity to fail before we do any intervention. We'd rather hold a kid back rather than get them treatment, right? I would think of more of it is, how can my child best learn new skills so no matter if they're on medicine or not, they're not dependent on things. If being on the medicine helps you to learn the new skills that you need to be successful in life, whether that's organization, social interaction, be able to not procrastinate, get things done on time, stick to a schedule, be able to sleep so you're ready for the day, aren't you really helping to further them and giving them additional skills? It's sort of interesting. You know, we talk about school. I have problems, say, for example, I'm eight and I have problems in math. Nobody has any difficulty going out. I need to get a mentor. I need to get a tutor to help them. Why would you get them a tutor? You know, you're taking away their opportunity to sludge through that and fix it themselves. Oh, no, we're going to give them a tutor. We know they can't fix it themselves. I mean, why is it different? What I hear you kind of bringing up a lot that I think we need to highlight is if we get so focused on whether or not they should be on a med, you're potentially missing all the other effects and things that are they're being held back from, the potential exponential problems that things can cause down the line because you're so focused on one thing. When I'm saying patience all day long, so much of this stuff goes through my mind because I think about that. You don't have time to explain that whole big picture. You've just done it for so long that you've seen the big picture because I've seen the kids grow up. I've seen, you know, the child pediatric age, less than, you know, less than five, preschool, five to 11, the grade school, the middle school, the high school, the college, the young adult, uh, the middle-aged adult, the geriatric. So I've just seen sort of the long spectrum of what happens to people. And when you see people when they're older and you go, oh my gosh, if they could have just had some of this when they were younger, we might not be here now when they're 30. But when you're a parent, you don't have that perspective, right? You're thinking in the here now and in the next year or two. You know, I think it's maybe a little bit of the opposite when they're this young because it's I'm not really focused on the here and now and whether or not they need treatment today. I'm really worried about what am I doing today and how's that going to affect them when they're 20? Because I think a lot of the fears we have is, well, if I give them treatment today, does that negatively impact them down the road? Yeah, and what I'm telling you is I've seen that down the road many, many times. We've also talked about in our podcast that, you know, oftentimes when kids get to be adolescents, they themselves are going, I know I don't want the treatment. If you're waiting to then to start the conversation, oh, we got more battles going on. The way to best help them when they're 20 is to get them treatment now while you can. And the younger they are, the more influence you have over your child, actually, so... Yeah, so maybe we end it by coming back full circle and you giving a, a little bit of insight into helping parents predict the future. <laughs> In your experience, what kind of generalized, because we, we can't go through every little detail, right, of if you intervene early versus you hope they grow out of it, what do each of those child's 
general outlook in the future? Predicting the future. I love this one. So here's my, I always have these little stories. So my little story is from when I was in the military and I lived on base. I lived in a, a town home with my family and up the hill, the grassy hill, was a, another family. And I would come out and sit on the porch and the deck and it would be playing out front. And on the backyard up, up the top was another family and the uh, officer would come out and sit on his deck and he knew I was a psychiatrist. I remember meeting, we talked, uh, and one time he was brave enough to ask me, he says, you know, do you ever sit there and analyze me? I said, you know, I'm not one. I'm not that smart, and I'm off the clock. <laughs> I, I don't do that. So we're not, th- this is the point. We're not really good at predicting the future. I mean, that's the main point. But I know that if I follow a group of kids, again, I can't predict individually, right? But if I follow a a group of kids, if we've been able to treat somebody, they have a much better chance of a positive outcome. What we see a lot of is kids who don't get treatment, you know, just their social interactions, they, uh, they're not accepted as well, or they don't get into those positive crowds. So they fall off at school, they get into fringe groups that sometimes those are good, but sometimes those are negative. They don't think they can succeed. So they stop trying, and their trajectory is just markedly changed for the negative. So they don't reach their potential. You know, they might—I hate to bring this up—but they, you know, they might turn to drugs to feel better, or they're searching for drugs to, hey, maybe that will help me out. Maybe those three Red Bulls a day will help me be able to pay attention in, in class. Right? You talk about some dependence on things as some as you go along. So you got to really think more broad term, in my perspective, than that. With that, we will conclude this episode. If you'd like to hear more about that, just let us know. We appreciate your time and catch you down the road on the Mental Health Commute.